Hello, everyone. Welcome again to Healing the Nations podcast, our podcast for social justice and religious liberty. And today we have a very special guest at ASI. We have soon to be Dr. Stephen Toscano. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do in ministry? Uh, currently, I am a PhD student at the Theological Seminary at Andrews University, and I am studying a PhD in religion with emphasis on church history. Now, what issues of religious liberty have you discovered in your research in your church history degree? Uh, mostly that uh, there has been no real consensus regarding uh, religious liberty uh, from the very beginning. In the earliest time in the Protestant Reformation, uh, there were some ideas of religious liberty and this idea of the separation of church and state that Protestants started to think about. But even some of the strongest leaders of the Reformation, like Martin Luther, um, John Calvin, or even uh, Ulrich Zwingli, um, they had a very different ideas concerning religious liberty than we would have today. And so uh, religious liberty is kind of a uh, something that has lived in the fringes of many of these movements. Um, and it has been something that's been highly contested and challenged uh, over the last 500 years. Which Protestant reformer would be the most consistent with the religious liberty that the founders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church adhere to? Um, in terms of the early years, it would definitely be the left wing of the Reformation known as the Radical Reformation. Uh, and more specifically, this group known as the Anabaptist or Rebaptizers. They were uh, Bible students of Ulrich Zwingli in um, the canton of Zurich. They were uh, champions of the teachings that Luther espoused in the early years. They were excited by the study of the word with their mentor Zwingli. But when it came to the issue of the separation of church and state and th this whole notion of religious liberty, this idea that um, we must respect the individual conscience as uh, God leads and directs us through Scripture, that was the point that caused a rift in the Reformation. It caused the uh, Swiss Reformation to fracture or splinter into at least two camps. Uh, the Swiss Reformed, uh, led by Zwingli and later Calvin, and the Anabaptists, the, the radicals, uh, that were strong advocates of the separation of church and state. Religious liberty seems to be a hot topic with the news today and with the agenda of our current administration. How consistent or are there differences between the religious liberty that our current administration is pushing and that of, say, the Anabaptists? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's there's no uh, simple answer to that question, um, but I will say this: it has been clear, at least from my perspective, that there is a very different understanding of religious liberty that this administration, this presidential administration, has. First of all, religious liberty, as it has been practiced by the Trump administration, uh, does not seem to imply religious liberty for all but rather religious liberty for a certain class and that class is uh, mostly 
Protestant America, white Protestant America. And so uh, it was very clear, even during um, the uh, presidential campaign, that Trump made very clear that he wanted to, quote, restore power back to the Christians. And he had felt that Christians had been bullied by the secular left, and he wanted to help restore some of that power back to Christians so that they can re, uh, regain their rightful place in American life and society. And so that seems to be a very different notion of religious liberty. It's a very limited one. It's one that, quite frankly, uh, reminds me of the Constantinian Church, in which Emperor Constantine sought to unify the Roman Empire by um, making laws that would favor the Christian community. And in doing so, he, um, he Christianized, if you will, the Roman Empire, the pagan Roman Empire. Um, the sad reality, however, is that um, by doing so, he also uh, greatly affected the course of church history. Um, from that point, you see many great false teachings and apostasies take place within the established visible church. And so we refer to that that era as the Constantinian church. And so I would argue that some of the practices that we've seen in place by this current administration are more in line with the Constantinian church than the principles of freedom of conscience and of true religious liberty as seen in the radical wing of the Reformation. There seems to be because of the intolerance of the progressive left towards Christians during the previous administration where uh, religious liberty was threatened uh, for certain groups that adhere to a, a traditional biblical worldview. And because of that uh, adversity that they resort to vote for the current administration in, even among Seventh-day Adventists, yeah. how do you feel about Adventists openly advocating for partisan politics and thinking that voting this administration in was a win for religious liberty? It's a complex issue because on the one hand, I am sympathetic to the concerns of abuse of the previous administration. There were things that took place, uh, for example, the Supreme Court ruling regarding same-sex marriage. When you look at the discussions that took place in the Supreme Court, the lawyers representing the uh, Obama administration made clear that there would be some challenges uh, regarding the uh, tax-exempt status of various religious institutions, including uh, schools and, um, and universities that are religiously connected. And so there are some legitimate concerns uh, with that. Now, having said that, um, my fear is that in having those concerns, which are, again, legitimate and they are founded, um, it is too easy to overcompensate and to take things too far. And my fear is that what's happening with the rise of the evangelical uh, uh, Protestants in our nation, particularly those that are involved in politics, is you see this overreaction. You see this movement um, not only fighting for um, religious liberty, if you will, but almost pushing out those religious minorities and uh, putting these various groups like the LGBT community and various other groups on the fringes um, and really finding ways to justify ill behavior towards 
uh, these uh, different groups. And so I think this is unfortunate. And I think for Seventh-day Adventists in particular, to advocate, to become involved in partisan politics is, is already a concern. But to support a administration that has no real clear understanding of the delicate nature of religious liberty, I think is rather unfortunate. Now, I've known you for many years. And in the last few years, it seems that you're paying more attention to what's going on with, with the national political scene. What caused you to uh, become refocused in these matters? Yes, yeah, uh, good observation. I mean, to be quite honest, uh, for most of my adult life, I was uh, mostly apolitical, uh, mostly uh, unconcerned with the various uh, interests and causes and uh, situations that involve the political world. But more and more, as I've seen um, these issues impact not only the Christian community, but also those that, um, you know, that can be perceived as being on the fringes, it raises concern because in Scripture you have multiple calls not only to follow Christ, but you have calls to justice. You have calls to defend those that are that have no voice or speech to defend those that that are in harm's way with the powers that be and more and more as i've paid attention i've realized that um this is part of christian duty to defend the defenseless and to speak for those that have no voice otherwise and too often i think um at least i can speak for myself too often uh, um, we are unconcerned with these so-called political issues, so long as they do not directly affect us. But I believe part of Christian love, part of Christian charity, part of Christian duty is to be concerned for the well-being of our brothers and sisters, whether they are in the faith or outside of the faith. Um, more than this, it seems to me that the political environment here in the United States is such that it seems to be fulfilling the, the characteristics of Revelation 13.11, a lamb-like beast that speaks as a dragon, a country that has characteristics or a profession of Christianity, professes Christ, it professes peace, it professes the gospel, and yet it speaks as a dragon. It makes intolerant laws and practices that harm many, many different people groups. And so I think from this perspective, I think that I've realized um, a paradigm shift in my own life that this is, these matters are things that should very much concern uh, thoughtful Seventh-day Adventists who are students of Bible prophecy. You've spoken out more about the issues particularly about immigration. What caused you to champion this cause? I think the big thing that I found um, with regards to immigration is that in Revelation 12, uh, you have the story of the woman and the dragon. And it is the dragon, the Satan, that persecutes. Initially, he persecutes Christ. And then he shifts his focus of persecution from Christ to the woman. And as Satan persecutes the church, she goes into hiding. She goes into the wilderness and we know that that refers to um, God's people going into obscurity uh, during that great prophetic period of 
uh, from 538 to 1798, the heyday of the papacy. And at the end of that story, at the end of Revelation 12, we're told that the earth would open up her mouth and swallow up the flood. That the earth, representing uh, in this particular instance, I believe, uh, this country that would be known as the United States of America later on, it provided a place of refuge. It provided a safe haven for the downtrodden, for the oppressed, for the persecuted. And so recognizing that the United States has such a rich and beautiful history as this place for those that are uh, persecuted and those that are um, in need, I've realized that as our nation seems to take a different position towards those in need, I've realized that what is at stake is the very heart and character of our country. I believe what we see taking place right now with regards to the treatment of religious minorities and ethnic minorities, including immigrants, uh, whether legal or illegal, is this spirit of intolerance, this spirit of, uh, I don't care, we don't want you here, you are unwelcome. And this is very much this, against the spirit that we found in Revelation 12, very much against the spirit of the Statue of Liberty, uh, this idea of welcoming those um, from across the ocean that were in need and that were oppressed, that were downtrodden, that were persecuted for various reasons. And so uh, that sort of has definitely caught my interest and uh, uh, concerned me from a biblical prophetic perspective. What can Seventh Avenue do practically to champion the downtrodden and the oppressed and practically apply Isaiah 58? That's a good question. Um, First and foremost, I think the biggest thing is we need to get educated regarding the issues itself. Uh, in the era that we live in, it is hard to know who is telling the truth. And the first thing I would suggest is to do our research, to be thorough, to look at, it, at a certain issue such as immigration or um, what have you, and to consider different perspectives, to read up on it. You can use media sources from the left, from the right, from the center, but you want to be well read and you want to try to understand and be able to sift truth from error, you know. And so that's the first thing is to become educated on these issues. Secondly, um, I think Seventh day Adventists can do things as small as contacting their local state representatives and expressing concern. For example, not too long ago in Texas and various places, you had the separation of children from their parents. And this is something that. Um, even though that practice may or may not be happening in your state, I think it would behoove thoughtful, considerate citizens um, to express great concern over such practices because this is not a political issue. This is not a partisan issue. Some of these children will never be reunited with their mother or father ever again. And this is a travesty. This is a great injustice toward humanity. And so we need to recognize these issues as not so much as political or partisan issues, but as basic humanitarian issues. And so from that perspective, contacting your local state representatives, expressing concern. Thirdly, linking up with others that have the same concern and making our voice known, uh, sharing our concerns and uh, doing so not only privately, but also publicly, wherever is appropriate. Social justice has been a buzzword lately, even within the church. What type of social justice should we as a church engage in? Social justice is definitely a slippery term. 
And depending upon who you ask, you will find all sorts of different kinds of definitions. But from my perspective, I think the heart of true social justice is simply living out the principles of Scripture to love God supremely and to love your neighbor as yourself. And if we love our neighbors as ourselves, we will be concerned with their interests, with their welfare. We will be concerned with their well-being. We will be concerned uh, with the protection of their God-given rights. And so um, I think from a biblical perspective, I think we need to see the big picture. We need to see this as, again, not as a political partisan issue, but as a matter of love and a demonstration of God's character to uh, those in need. How do you react to those that accuse you of being a leftist progressive politically? That's a, <laughs> that's a good question. It wasn't until recently, I suppose, that I started to hear some of those accusations. But, you know, the first thing is, you know, not to be overly concerned with those kinds of insults um, from various people. Uh, because they can believe whatever they want about me. Um, but what I'm concerned with most is not pleasing man, but pleasing God. And so my first and foremost concern is being faithful to God. And secondly, uh, having love and genuine sympathy for the, uh, for the oppressed and downtrodden. And so my critics, uh, whoever they may be, <laughs> sometimes they're also, they also happen to be friends. Um, that's, a, a, I guess, of lesser significance to me. Um, for example, with the latest issue with the separation of children from their parents, uh, I was not so concerned as to what my critics would think, but I was more concerned, genuinely concerned for the well-being of those poor, innocent children being separated from their parents. And so I feel like if we, th if we have the big picture in mind, I think that uh, the assaults, whether from the far left or from the far right, I think that those things will be um, of little consequence to us. And so they could say whatever they want. My concern is not being political, not being partisan. Um, I identify uh, neither as a Democrat nor as a Republican. Um, but my concern is revealing the love of God to lost and fallen humanity. It is increasing polarized society. And we live in a very divisive age, both within and outside the church. Seems like there's more and more intolerance and more and more division. How should we as Seventh-day Adventists respond in this divisive age? What can we do to help? It's tough. It's tough. Um, it seems that when we speak up for those that are in need, whether, you know, it be a young black man who is shot and killed by a police officer, or whether it be an innocent four-month-year-old baby separated for its mother's arms. Um, sometimes we could be seen as adding to the divisiveness of this country. Um, but I think that it is important to stand for what is right first and foremost. Uh, secondly, I think we have to uh, do our best to stay free from any partisan attachments. There's nothing wrong if someone's convicted to do so, to vote a certain way, but we need to be careful not to fall into partisan ways of thinking. And what I mean by that is just because my 
um, preferred political party, whatever that may be, may think about a certain issue in this one particular way, that doesn't mean I have to. And that doesn't mean that they're going to be right. They can be wrong about these various issues. They can be wrong about endorsing a certain candidate or whatever. And so uh, that's that's important. And the other thing, too, is not to give in to the, the rhetoric uh, and the demonization that takes place in our in our world today. Um, we need to stay away from uh, making personal insults to our various leaders, even President Trump, who I have been a open and vocal critic of. Uh, I never want to disparage the man himself. I never want to engage in mock mockery or cruel jest uh, at his expense. Um, and I believe it's important that we maintain that position because we don't want to give in to that rhetoric that will only cause more darkness rather than light. And so those are just some things that I found helpful. And, uh, and above all, I think it's important to also keep in mind that even those that view things a little bit differently than us, they're still our brothers and sisters. And we need to make sure that we do our best to treat them as such. There are some within the church that believe that the treatment of undocumented immigrants is valid since they are breaking the law and some connected in a theological paradigm where you break the law of God and there's consequences. How do you respond to that? That because they broke the law, they don't have special rights and therefore they're suffering the consequences of breaking the law. Yeah, that's a loaded question, um, but I'll answer it this way. I'll attempt to at least. Um, first of all, not all those who are undocumented and have tried to cross the border have done so illegally. Many of which we know uh, were seeking asylum and were legitimately doing what they could to um, preserve the life and well-being of their families and trying their best to do so in the ways that this nation has prescribed. Um, so that's the first thing I want to mention. Secondly, um, we need to keep in mind that the laws of man are ever-changing and are susceptible to the whims of various political factions, whoever happens to be in power, and can be changed at a moment's notice. And so these things are not to be equated with the unchangeable law of God. That cannot be changed. Man's law can be changed and is constantly changing. And thirdly, we need to keep in mind this basic principle that with regards to man's law, there are just laws and there are unjust laws. And any law that is unjust, any law that um, makes light of um, human life or takes away from these basic fundamental um, core issues of, that, that involve humanity, these things are not to be obeyed by a thoughtful, conscientious Christian. For example, in the days of Ellen White, uh, you had this law that was passed, the fugitive, uh, was it the fugitive slave law, in which people, if they had run across a slave who had escaped from their master, they were instructed to turn them in so that they can be returned back to their masters. Ellen White, speaking of this law, this unjust law, says, 
this law we are not to obey. And I think this is the principle of what's called civil disobedience. When there are unjust laws that violate basic humanity, that violate the natural rights that God has given to all men, women, and children, these are laws in good conscience we must not obey. And so just like in the days of Martin Luther King Jr. and, and many others that championed um, the rights of uh, civil rights cause, um, there are times in which we must, as thoughtful, conscientious citizens, uh, practice civil disobedience. And there are, I would dare say, instances in which such should be practiced with regards to the unjust laws that, that involve immigrants. Do you see connection with the intolerance towards different quote-unquote fringe groups and undocumented immigrants with the last days, the end-time events of the growing intolerance or the persecution that will happen to God's people? No doubt. No doubt. Uh, we're told that there will come a time in which the people of God, on account of their love and fidelity to God, the people of God will be, quote, hated of all nations for Christ's namesake. And that's a serious thing that I think many Seventh-day Adventists, particularly in the West, have not really wrapped their minds around. Hated of all nations for the sake of Christ. It's easy to say, it's easy to read, it's easy to gloss over, but when we think about the implications of that, and we see the growing intolerance and the demonization of various groups, religious minorities, ethnic minorities, undocumented immigrants, so on and so forth, um, we need to recognize that that same vitriol that is shared towards these various groups will one day be shared toward us. And so this should make us um, not indifferent, but this should cause us to uh, be sympathetic. And more than just having sympathy, this should cause us to stand up in their defense uh, as, as far as we can um, and to do our best to stand for what is right, for what is just, um, regardless of what the circumstances or consequences may be. Final question. What do you like to see the church do in this time right now in Earth's history with the issues of divisiveness and polarization? I think the church needs to be able to separate in, or to distinguish issues that are partisan from basic humanitarian concerns. And with regards to partisan issues, leave those alone. We allow our members to read and study on their own and, and to make up their own minds with regards to partisan issues. However, with basic issues that deal with uh, basic humanity uh, or humanitarian issues, these are things that the church must speak up about. And so I'm glad, I'm thankful, I'm grateful that when the separation of children from their parents, when that was taking place, we had responses from the world church on all levels. We had it on the general conference level. We had it in the division level. We even had it in my home union, the Pacific Union. And I'm thankful for that response because that response was needed. Now, sadly, even though our church gave that response in favor of these poor children, uh, there were some that still said, 
oh, what it, why is the church getting involved in politics? And so it seems that there needs to be an education that takes place amongst our members, recognizing that just because the media presents these issues as partisan issues, that doesn't mean that's the way God sees it. And we know from Scripture, we are mandated in Scripture to treat the foreigner, to treat the, the immigrant, to treat the stranger in our land, to treat them as we would want to be treated. And I can tell you, I would never want my children separated from me for any reason. And so I pray that uh, Seventh-day Adventists everywhere will be thoughtful, will be sympathetic, will be compassionate as we seek to stand up not only for our own rights, but to stand for the rights of those in need uh, in our world today. Pastor Toscano, thank you so much for your valuable time in this podcast. I know your time is valuable. I really appreciate your insights. Can you close us with a word of prayer? Yes. Thank you very much, brother. Very glad to be here with you. Let's pray. Gracious God of heaven, we live in a very serious time where there's great confusion. There seems to be a loss of basic love toward one another. I pray, Lord, that as we see these various issues taking place in our world, in the secular world, but also the religious world, that you would use these things to awaken and startle your people. I pray, Lord, that you would, you would cause a stirring in our hearts so that we would be moved to action. Uh, and the action, I pray, that you would stir us to is the action of love, to care and to look out for and to stand for those in need. Help us, God, to be your children. Help us uh, to experience what you want us to experience in our own lives so that we can share this goodness, the goodness of the gospel, with your, your children inside and outside the church. Thank you, God. Please be with your people. Please open up our eyes, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.